Hello, Threebies. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our network, Forever Dog. They've got a lot of great podcasts that you can check out on foreverdogpodcast.com. And I wanted to mention one in particular that I was on recently and laughed so hard that I cried. Public Domain Theater. Public Domain Theater is hosted by the wonderful duo of Kelly Nugent and Lindsay Katai. And the premise is amazing. Each week, they read a classic short story from the public domain, stories by people like Edgar Allan Poe, Virginia Woolf, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and they interrupt the readings with hilarious commentary. It's like Masterpiece Theater meets Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's like an audiobook, but with more jokes. On my episode, we read a story by Ohio writer Sherwood Anderson called The Egg, and by the end, we were laughing so hard, we were literally sweating. It was very humid in the podcasting booth. So please check out Public Domain Theater on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, on with the show. Forever. Dog. I used to think that this was my town. What a stupid thing to think. I hear you biting off a brain down. What's up, Three Swings listeners? Three Bs, as I'm calling you. No one's told me whether they like it or not, so I guess it's good. <laughs> no news is good news, is, goes the old uh, thingamajig. I'm having a great day, obviously. Um, had a bit of a weird morning. Also, just generally having a weird week. I didn't get to watch a ton of baseball. I feel like I keep saying that. That should be my new catchphrase. I didn't get to watch a ton of baseball. That's what's what happens when you um, decide to make something that you're doing leisurely a job. <laughs> you don't necessarily start to hate it, but you realize like, oh my God, now I have to fit this in. And it was just something I was able to fit in because I wasn't putting any pressure on it before. <laughs> and now all of a sudden I'm like, I don't, I've, uh, where's my baseball? What happened to my baseball? Anybody watch The Boss, that movie? Pretty much the first five minutes are the funniest part. No offense, but that movie is kind of weird. And says some weird things about gender nonconforming gals, which I didn't particularly like. But at the beginning, they uh, completely butcher. And I will say that the who's on first joke for hilarious dividends. And it's very funny. Who's my baseball is a very funny thing to say when you have one of those uh, mouth expanders, which I wore recently for a YouTube show that apparently is hyper popular and i was unaware of it but uh good mythical morning i was on that with one of those things and uh just spit went all over the place it was very similar to my episode of public domain theater (laughs) which i highly recommend you listen to i had a great time recording that podcast um i've had a weird week because i'm going to share this personal tidbit well number one i made a very bad trade i don't know why i did this in my fantasy baseball i think sometimes i just do things for people because i think I'm supposed to do that? I don't know why I did that. It was very bad. Um, But whatever. I won't discuss specifics. (laughs) I did win my fantasy baseball week. I don't think I'm going to win this week, and I'm playing somebody that hasn't won yet. So what are you going to do? Fantasy baseball is the bane of my existence. It also is the only reason I'm able to exist. You understand. There's my other catchphrase. I had a weird week because I've lost something that I've had for a very long time and that is very important to me. How does this relate to baseball? It does, because baseball players tend to be very superstitious. Jason Kipnis, uh, two seasons ago, during the World Series, lost his ankle brace, like protective ankle brace, 
There was a very specific brand, and the name is escaping me now, but it's like an old brand that doesn't even exist anymore, and he lost it during the World Series and tweeted about it, and someone had one and sent it to him, and now he wears the same, like, he replaced it with this, like, he just couldn't possibly, and it's also very funny to me because I get that you're superstitious about the thing because you wore it and you played well, but I would also add that you probably wore it and played very badly, so you could probably not wear it. But I, I also get it because I'm a very superstitious person. I was raised by a superstitious person. And I don't mean like, oh, I don't step on cracks, although I don't step on cracks. But I don't mean only those things. Like if I see a black cat, oh, my day is ruined. I mean, I do get worried, but it, my day isn't over. It's just that I've lost this thing that I was somehow able to hold on to since I was 12 and got it. And now I cannot find it. And I don't have that pit in my stomach feeling which is almost worse because it's almost as though my body knows it's gone. And that is a terrible feeling. It is the same feeling that I had after game five of the last two world series. So I don't feel great. And it's a weird feeling. I guess it's a feeling of pre grieving, you know, cause like when you lose something, it's difficult because you don't totally know that it's gone. Cause it could still be there. You just haven't found it yet. Not a, It's not a great feeling. It also kind of describes the feeling that I've been having since November 2016. So that's just kind of where I'm at as a human being. It's a, a sort of soft depression, I would say. And speaking of soft things, I recently got a haircut. I didn't discuss it on our last episode with Paul F. Tompkins, who is one of my favorite guests and favorite people. A lot of people really love that episode. So thank you for that, because it was a lot of fun to make. I love talking to him about anything, but especially baseball. Because we just have fun talk fun talking about it. It's not, you know, arguments and or proving something to each other. We just get to talk about baseball, which if you can find a friend that is like that, oh, hang on to them. Don't lose them like the thing you've had since you were twelve. Because <laughs> sometimes you have friends since you were twelve and it's not as good. Anyway, on to baseball. <laughs> um, something I forgot to mention the last time is, oh yeah, in regards to my haircut, I basically got Chris Bryant's haircut, <laughs> which I, when I got it, I didn't realize. And then um, I saw him get hit in the face and was like, oh, I have that haircut. That's what I got out of him getting hit in the face. Boy, oh boy, was that a not fun thing. I'm not some huge Cubs fan. I will say I am getting better at even just being able to watch them play baseball. I'm not as furious as I was a couple years ago. So Cubs fans rejoice. I'm not furious at them anymore. Um, doesn't make me happy that you're winning, but whatever. I can be neutral about it. Um, I don't want to see anybody get hit in the face with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball, that's for sure. Uh, glad he's okay. I also, speaking of the Cubs, when I was flying recently, watched a little bit of the Let's Play 2 documentary about Pearl Jam playing a concert at Wrigley Field, and it was interesting. I mean, I, I, I legit ran out of things to watch on the plane. If I'm watching a Cubs documentary filmed in 2016, I have run out of things to watch. <laughs> but um, he said something in that documentary that I found really interesting and I think is like kind of an important thing to sort of think about, think on, meditate on or whatever, that he was just talking about, you know, being a Cubs fan, obviously previous to 2016 or even 2015, I would say, um, how how much losing you endure that he thinks it made him a better activist. And I actually think that's a pretty apt uh, observation because it's interesting to me. And look, I'm not going to beat this world series horse forever, but the 2016 world series was such a unique world series. I think 
because of the two teams that were playing each other, the two longest droughts in baseball history were playing each other. It doesn't get more losing than that. <laughs> you know, they have lost and not won the most World Series of any teams in baseball history playing each other to finally win a World Series. I mean, that's bonkers. The 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 odds of that are... I don't know what they are. It seems like slim. They probably weren't that year because of the way those two teams were playing. But you have these two baseball audiences who have endured the most losing out of anybody. And that's not counting the Houston Astros because they also had the biggest drought given that they'd only been to the World Series once. But look, (laughs) whatever. You're talking about two teams that have lost a lot and fans that have lost a lot. I think that it is an interesting thing to then look into that and be like, what what does that make the fan do? You know, like what do people that have lost a lot in life, what do they do with that? And I think um, people who then go into speaking up or activism, whatever you want to call it, who have lost a lot have a unique perspective because they literally haven't won. And what is activism if not about trying to win for the people who have lost? I don't know. I thought it was something interesting. So speaking of winning, um, Ronald Acuna, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. I haven't gotten to watch a lot of baseball. Ronald? I'm not sure. I'm doing the best I can. Finally got called up. He was on my bench because, <laughs> of course, he was. Um, he had a great uh, debut. He had five games played so far. He was eight for nine, hitting 421, one home run, and four RBIs. One game he almost hit for the cycle, which is pretty wild. I would also say this I got from Paul F. Tompkins. Um, if you haven't seen his first home run, you should watch it because the guy who caught it did some like bonkers math to decide to figure out where the best place to catch the, his home run would be. And he figured it out. And then he caught the ball. He legit catches the ball, gives a high five, puts on a backpack, runs out of the stadium. (laughs) Um, just a a very funny thing to watch. I mean, he just puts his hand out, catches it, leaves. (laughs) It's a pretty... Cool experience. Um, And also the Atlanta team just called up a right-hander who's 20 years old. I just got a a thing on my phone about it, so his name is already out of my head. You can look it up. You have Google. You have time. You're listening. You can pause. You can look it up. And he's 20 years old. So the Atlanta team now has the three youngest players in baseball with Ozzie Albies, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. I think I'm getting it right. I don't know. I do care, but I'm not whatever i'm human i'm i'm human <laughs> that's what human beings say i'm human i sound like data um so yeah and then the guy whose name i don't know um producer brett who i'm gonna start calling my bench coach is handing me his phone to tell me it's mike soroka yeah i remember that name it was right on the tip of my tongue so we'll see how the east uh figures out curious about that speaking of the east the yankees are super hot they've outscored their opponents 64 to 18 during their nine game winning streak and the win streak came to an end this Monday versus the Houston Astros, who are probably the best team in baseball. Um, I know that Boston, they've hit the most grand slams in April ever. They're just constantly hitting grand slams. Um, And that was by Xander Bogarts coming off of the DL, immediately hitting a grand slam. Um, What can they do wrong? Nothing. Except the only thing I would say that they don't have that the Houston Astros do have is a solid one through five rotation. The Houston Astros don't really have a closer, but they don't seem to really care about that, given that they just use three different guys all the time. So I don't know. Houston Astros are 
probably the team to beat. I was just thinking this morning, if the World Series was going to happen tomorrow, I would predict it would be the Diamondbacks versus the Astros. This makes me angry, and also it's a high probability at this point. Look, I know the Yankees are super hot, but they don't have the same stuff. Also, Corey Seager is now out for the season, which is very sad uh, for Dodger fans, for myself. I haven't been to a game yet. I'm curious to see what the first game that I go to, how the how it's going to feel. I feel like they're back to what they were like in 2015, which is just pieces moving kind of separately. I think they can figure it out, but I'm not very confident that they will. Does that make sense? <laughs> they have the possibility of figuring it out. Uh, my bench coach, Brett, just gave me uh, this interesting tidbit, that the Dodgers lead the majors in one obscure metric, which is projected war currently on the disabled list, which means they have very effective players who cannot play. <laughs> they have Justin Turner, Rich Hill, Tom Kohler, Yasiel Puig, Julio Urias, and Logan Forsythe, and now Corey Seager, who is just maybe probable for opening day of 2019. Not great. Um, I read some quotes from him that he was basically just like, kind of relieved because he's been so injury plagued since the postseason last year it's probably better for him to just get it over with as opposed to trying to figure out what it is and worrying that it's something really bad and finding out that it's something really bad as opposed to just continually worrying about it um speaking of other west nl division teams the diamondbacks are 20 and 8 there's only i think four teams that have ever started that hot and they are one of them. Their outfielders do <laughs> pretend their arms are snakes. And I think that's silly looking. Um, Arizona, you keep being good. It seems like, is it just going to be a battle between the Rockies and the Diamondbacks for a summer? Seems like it. Um, I like the Dodgers. I don't think they're going to, I think it's going to be a tough season. <laughs> they're already wobbly up top. It just is difficult. They don't have anybody that, I mean, maybe they, Go for Manny Machado. I don't think they're going to. They have the most money in baseball, but they're not going to spend it. They have a bunch of players that can fill in, but that hasn't been working very well this season. So I don't know. I mean, it looks like Taylor and uh, Enrique Hernandez are going to platoon at shortstop. Why don't you bring up tolls? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> they're not going to listen to me. Um, This is completely off the actual playing baseball thing. Reese Hoskins' Instagram is adorable. I think you should follow it. He posts adorable Instagram photos. One of the last ones I saw, also his handle is Reese to the Hoskins. Come on. He's adorable. It's very cute. He posts photos of his dog. There was a photo that was like, high five for the birthday boy. And it was him giving a low five to somebody else, which is a, just an adorable, adorable, adorable thing. Um, let's see. What else do I want to talk about here? Surgery. Oh yeah. Josh Hader, the Milwaukee Brewers reliever. Uh, he became the first pitcher since saves became official in 1969 to strike out at least eight batters in a save of less than three innings. Hader, who collected his fourth save of the season Monday, went two and two thirds innings. I love in fractional innings because I feel like I'm baking a cake. Uh, to secure the Brewers' win over the Reds, he got seven swinging strikeouts and uh, and one on a bunt attempt that went foul. He also walked one batter. Uh, he's replacing Corey Knebel, who was a breakout closer last year and then just fell apart this year. Yes, did I draft him early? Of course I did. I didn't draft well at all. 
I didn't do a good job, but hey, I'm figuring out my other rotisserie league and doing a lot better at that, so there's that. Um, meanwhile, did I have... Oh, yes, one other pitching breakout from last week, uh, other than Sean Manaya following up his uh, Boston no-hitter with a very good showing in Houston, keeping uh, the Houston Astros... Uh, scoreless for seven, I believe. I didn't write down notes because I'm good at my job. Um, followed that up with a beautiful showing in Houston. So is this Sean Manaya's breakout season? Not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, then we'll wrap this up. I'm going to do a rosin bag after this, but I didn't even know about this until uh, bench coach Brett brought it to my attention, which is exactly what bench coaches are supposed to do. They're supposed to bring things to your attention. That's what I do all day Sunday when I'm bench coaching my team, um, I got in my head a lot this last game because I wasn't playing very well in the field, but I did get two RBIs, so I can't be too mad. I only struck out once. I went two for three, two RBI. So that's good. You make up for it on pace. Uh, Johnny Damon was on Fox News this week, uh, and this is a quote from uh, Mr. Johnny Damon of baseball fame. I think Donald's doing a great job of trying to bring everything to the table, just work at something instead of wasting people's time, Damon told Fox News. Damon hinted that he could be doing a project with Trump in the near future, saying, some big news is coming out on me later on this week, so it should be pretty good. What a bunch of wordsmiths they are over on that side of the aisle, aren't they? This should be good. That's all. That's not a waste of anybody's time. No details? Don't waste my time with details on what you're going to do. I mean, I wouldn't want to know what it is or anything. Definitely don't tell me details, because that would be a waste of my time. I think it's very funny that people, that this illusion, we spent eight years with the same people saying that Obama was doing nothing while he was doing things. Now, you can dislike some of Obama's policies, just as I do, without falling into the trap of aligning yourself with Fox News and or far-right ideology. And so when I talk about this, I'm not talking about the specific policies, but the fact that Obama was actually doing the job of president while he held the office, um, which is, you know, doing more than having pretend phones on his desk and going golfing every week and profiting off of the presidency. I would say that President Barack Obama did not make a dime off of the presidency other than the salary that a president is paid. So, Let's just talk about that first. Um, it's strange to me. It's not strange because I understand it. Um, he's not doing anything. He's not bringing anything to the table other than himself and saying things that people agree with. And those things are so shallow. It's so easy to, to agree with them because you can see the bottom of it. Um, and so I just, wow. I mean, it makes sense that baseball players would like this dude. There are many baseball players that are very actively in support of this dude. Um, Trevor Bauer of the Cleveland baseball team would be that dude who's very vocal about it, which is also why I easily traded him, and I should not have done that. But sometimes I trade people based on who they are and not their performance. And look, it's going to get you in trouble all the time. It's also why I didn't draft, I don't know, Bryce Harper. It's also why I didn't draft anybody I could have drafted because I was like, oh, have back problems or they're a Republican. Now, if you base everything off of somebody having back problems or being a Republican, you're probably not going to get anything done. So Johnny Damon, I don't care what project you're working on because it's not going to help me at all. And it's not going to help anybody I care about probably. So after this, let's help some people that we care about and get into that rosin bag. Let's flip it up and down. 
Pop it on your palm. Pop it on the top of your hand. We'll be right back with Rosenbag. All right, threebies, we're back. This is going to be Rosenbag. You know it. You like it. That's what I'm going with. I forgot to mention something in my last segment, which if you like this show, you like that I forget things a lot. The Pirates' Nick Kingham made his uh, Major League debut the other day, and he undoubtedly had the best debut of any pitcher of all time. He was perfect through seven. He held the St. Louis Cardinals to one hit, and he had nine strikeouts. Paul DeYoung broke up his perfect game in the seventh. That is a bonkers thing to do on your debut. Let's see if it holds up. My guess, after reading up about this young fellow, is unfortunately, no. I don't think he's going to have another outing that replicates this or comes close to it, only because I think he was just in a zone. A lot of people are guessing that that he had literally the game of his life. Doesn't mean he won't be a good pitcher. He's just been injury-plagued, and that can be very difficult for pitchers. But anyway, what a bonkers thing to get to witness as a baseball fan. I think so, and I'm happy for the Pirates that they're at least playing somewhat good this year (laughs) because I feel like the fan base, boy, oh boy, you've been up and down just in those wildcard games, not getting much further. So I'm glad that you're at least having fun, I think. So that's positive. All right, let's get into the rosin bag. Uh, let's see. Hannah Monaghan says, being a three swings pod listener, I thought this was something you'd be into. The Minnesota Twins are hosting a Minnesota Lynx night, which is their WNBA team and also the reigning champions who beat my Los Angeles Sparks, but that's fine. Uh, I don't know what that other teams have done are doing this. I don't think that they have. I, again, didn't research it because we are doing the questions off the top. So instead of answering whether they have or have done it. Um, I'm just going to give a shout out to the Minnesota Twins for doing that because I think it's awesome. The Minnesota Lynx have a huge fan base, um, a, a very strong fan base, and I think it's great when I think it's great when teams in general are overlapping. But it's extra great um, when a men's team is is bringing in the women's teams as they should. I mean, it just should. Be. They won. They won. They're the champions. So why wouldn't you have them there to celebrate that? And uh, I'm stoked that the Twins did that. So shout out to the Twins. The Twins are always a team that I'm like kind of jealous. I can't be a fan of. And like I'm a fan. I I don't know. Look, you, everybody knows that I'm a fan of whatever team. My wife, Cameron Esposito, we were playing catch the other day because we do that a lot. I highly recommend it if you're couples. You don't even have to be good at throwing or catching. You'll get better if you do it. But it is like just a great way to work some stuff out, to have conversations, and be slightly distracted by physical labor um, while doing it. Uh, we started doing it on tour a couple years ago when I was opening for Cameron, and we would just take our gloves on tour, and it's fun to just be outside and find a park and just be together. It's great. I highly recommend it. Uh, and many of you have done it and sent me photos. So if you do it, send me photos. Um Shit, what was I saying? <laughs> oh, yeah, and we went to a Twins game. So anyway, she... Uh, was like, you're a Fairweather fan because I was saying the Dodgers aren't playing well. And I just want to point out, she is probably right that I am a bit of a Fairweather fan in that it's easy for me to get into a team when they're winning and then I get really mad when they're not. And I would say that's not necessarily being a Fairweather fan. That's being mad at your team. (laughs) Being a Fairweather fan is you don't care about them and then you care about them when they're winning. Given that I'm mad at them for not being good, I would say that I still care. And also, 
I my the history of my fandom of baseball is the two teams that I am the most connected to, and I think I brought this up last week, so forgive me for repeating, are the two racist teams in the league, in both leagues. So I I don't even have a team that I can really that that I super hard relate to from my past and my memories. I I don't wear anything from those teams. I don't like super openly support them. I talk about them a lot. But I'm not like, I'm a this fan. I can't even say the team names. I don't say the team names. It's not can't. I'm telling myself I don't. Um, so I give myself a pass on being a Fairweather fan because I literally can't even support the teams that I that I have a connection to. And, like, that's not a complaint. It's just, like, just give me a break. <laughs> Whenever people are mad at me for, like, being a Dodger fan or being this, it's like, you don't understand, man. You don't understand. So, anyway. Uh, shout out to the twins. That was the the twins were the first game baseball game that I went to that got me like really back into baseball. I think it even preceded going to my first Dodger game. So I went to Target Field when we were performing at Acme Comedy Club in Minnesota, which is in Minneapolis, or Minneapolis in Minnesota, um, and it's a great club. And we just got tickets, and it was a lot of fun to go. And then I was like, oh yeah, I love this thing. I forgot about this. So shout out to the twins. Also love the hat. Got one of the best hats. In baseball, second only to probably the Tigers for me because I'm never going to give this to the Yankees. Let's move on. So we've got a question, comment. Oh, yes, a question uh, from Catherine Ross, Rossbach. Rossback? Rossbach. Do you have any baseball book recommendations? What are the mu- must-reads in your opinion? Thanks. Hashtag Rosenbag. Thank you for hashtagging it. Um, I am reading a couple of baseball books right now, but I w- the first one that I would say is a must-read is uh, Stacey May Fowles' uh, Baseball Life Advice, uh, Loving the Game That Saved Me. I just spilled a bunch of water on it, and I'm very disappointed in myself because now it's all wrinkly and weird. I've done that to two books. I This is why I never have water on my nightstand because I always knock it over because I get night terrors. I sleep on my arms. They fall asleep. Then they flop all over the place. It's a big problem. Um, I would definitely recommend reading that one first because uh, Stacey May Fowles, number one, is just writing in a way that is so easy to read. Um, To me, honestly, it's kind of like doing this podcast. Like the way that she writes is very, it's like listening to a podcast. Um, Also, her perspective is one that I relate to very highly, uh, being a, a, a fan that is, you know, sort of misunderstood or misrepresented. Um, and then also loving a team that it has some problems associated with it, you know, whether it's the, the way the players play or, you know, what's going on on the field, those kinds of things. So I feel like you definitely read that one. I just picked up a curveball at the Kansas City uh, Negro Leagues Museum um, about Connie Morgan that played for the Indianapolis Clowns. And then I also got just picked got in the mail today making my pitch about uh Isla Borders, who was a pitcher in men's baseball, played for the St. Louis, or I'm, I'm sorry, the Minnesota St. or Minneapolis St. Paul. Good Lord, Saints. Um, and I just read the foreword to that, so I'm really looking forward to <laughs> looking forward to that. Um, so those are my picks so far in terms of baseball books. Um, somebody also on tour gave me this tiny book. It was it's a it's a reprint, but uh, a Montgomery Ward's baseball book that's just like about baseball like what baseball is basically and it's from like the turn of the century so that one's also kind of neat just to read about what baseball was like then and people being like hey here have you heard of this new sport baseball (laughs) that's pretty fun um so those are my recommendations um let's see then we've got beard season 
Uh, do you ever put a game on the TV on mute and use the radio broadcast for audio? That is something I would love, absolutely love to do. I don't do it because I don't have a radio and I should get one. And the internet radio like doesn't sync up very well. Um, and I haven't been, like I said, every episode I keep saying, I haven't been getting to watch too many baseball games. But uh, I did watch a Cleveland game recently and I did not have it on mute. And thankfully I didn't. Because Mr. Rick Manning, who I discussed with Paul F. Tompkins, literally said, you get three swings in this game. <laughs> and we have a soundbite of that, so maybe we pop it in here. This way, he may take a bad swing, one at bat, but that doesn't matter. You get three swings in this game, and you, sometimes you need every one of them. Oh my God, can you believe that he just said that? Rick Manning promoting my podcast during the Cleveland baseball game? Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it for doing that. <laughs> what? Um, but yeah, I think that's a real fun uh, little treat. I don't know. How would you describe that? I, I would give it a shot. I also, I'm, a, I'm just a big fan of listening to it on the radio. For a lot of times, I just put it on and listen to the TV broadcast, which again, I've said many times isn't as descriptive as radio, but it's still fun. Jennifer Zondervan, that's a cool name, uh, ha- is asks, do you think the Red Sox have a chance at the series this year? I absolutely think they have a chance. I think that this is going to be either the most mundane postseason or the most bonkers postseason. And that is pretty much my description of every baseball season that happens now. We have, like, you know, the theories and and the high probability that we have juiced baseballs. I also think, you know, the um, stitching is changing because we're getting into the blisters again. So I think... I definitely think the Red Sox have a chance. I Like I said up top in the episode, I think their biggest problem is their rotation, uh, and like Drew Pomerantz and Eduardo Rodriguez being not super reliable. But you you have Chris Sale, and David Price seems to be doing a much better job this year. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Let's talk again at the, at the All-Star break. Let's see where we're at there. Because, I mean, the Yankees are just tearing it up. They also have, you know, a lineup that one through nine, one through eight, is... Uh, Oh, it's the American League. It's one through nine. My bad. Um, hitting very well. So when you have that going on, I mean, what? I think there's a, a high chance of the Astros versus the Red Sox and the Astros versus the Yankees. Those are the two things that are probably going to happen. So I don't know. It's also weird that I want to like be a Red Sox fan this year. <laughs> Again, Fairweather fan. But the I think I mentioned this before. Um, but the, the Boston Red Sox put on a women's fantasy camp that I'm absolutely saving up $2,500 to do next year. And it looks very fun. And if they, if I get to go do that and I get to play baseball with a bunch of other women in Red Sox uniforms, like, watch out. I might wear that thing a lot. So I know it's very upsetting. And many people who are my friends who are Cleveland fans are going to be mad at me. But, like, look, man, it's a racist team. What am I going to do? And you're going to say that a lot of Red Sox fans are racist. A lot of fans of everything are racist, so if I didn't do things because people that are racist did them, I would have to stay in my room. And that's an unfortunate uh, thing in the world, but that's why I participate in them and also speak openly against racism, because otherwise I would just spend a lot of time at home. Um, that got very real very quickly, so anyway. Um, ben Harrison, big fan of the show. Big fan of you, Ben Harrison. Um, is there any other baseball advice besides get on base that works well in other parts of life. And what the heck is happening to Stanton this year? Pretty sure Ben asked this when Stanton was still in his slump. I think Stanton is playing in New York. I think that's what's happening to him. 
Uh, I've seen many articles fly past my eyeballs about how difficult it is to play in New York. I totally believe it. I have done comedy in New York. It's difficult. And I think they make it difficult on purpose. I've never lived there. I know it's hard to live there. Also, many people that complain about how hard it is to live there are choosing to live there. So, you know, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them all. There you have facts of life. It's difficult to live in New York. You have to figure out a lot of things. You have to figure out how to get to the stadium. You have to figure out where pizza is. Look, he's an adult man. I get it. He's also a baseball player, and he's lived in Miami for most of that. Different setting. He also was like the dude in Miami. The dude. And like he's walking into a situation where there's a bunch of the dudes. There's Gary Sanchez. There's Didi Gregorius having the season of his life. There's... Aaron Judge, a little upstart rookie from last year that maybe some of you haven't heard of, he is walking into a situation where they have just, like, tremendous stars at every level, at every position just about. And it's also New York. Like, New York does not give a shit about you until you do what they want you to do, and you don't always know what that is. So I think that's what's in Stanton's head. I doubt that he's ever been booed like that before, And I don't fully agree with it, but I also, that's not my culture. So, like, I'm not going to tell New York what to do. Um, It also just, like, makes sense, you know? And so then you get booed a bunch because you strike out a bunch. And then you got to get out of your head. But I think that um, Aaron Boone is moving people around a little bit. And I think that's the best way to fix it. Um, Terry Francona, for example, doesn't move people around. And they slump for super long. Joe Girardi also didn't move people around, although I think the strategy of not moving Aaron Judge was a good one in that specific uh, iteration. But Terry Francona goes, I don't know, a month too long (laughs) before he moves people around in the order. Um, I think you just got to move people around so that they can get out of their head a little bit. Joe Madden, I think, does a good job of that, even though I don't want to compliment that guy very much. Um, I just think it's a good idea. You You need to move around. You are a position player. You play one position all the time. You can't change the position, uh, which was also something I, I wanted to mention. I am not a huge fan of this whole movement in baseball of putting infielders in the outfield. And I understand that my favorite player, uh, Chris Taylor, is the exception to that. But he, I think, is the exception that proves the rule. It doesn't always work. It worked for him because he had to do it. If he didn't do it, he wasn't going to get to play for the Dodgers. So I think that worked for him. Whereas somebody like D. Gordon... It's not necessarily like you're going to lose your job. You're nobody. D. Gordon is D. Gordon. He still hits. He can still do it. But I don't, you can't just put a second baseman in the outfield and be like, it'll be fine. And I think that uh, ownership and management, they're focusing like maybe a little bit too much on the branding aspect of it, the sort of media aspect of what they're doing. And then they're just going like, yeah, anybody can play. You can flop from first base to third base. It's corner infield. It's the same position. These positions are not the same. If they were the same position, they would be called the same thing. They're not the same position. There's a reason why people play third base. There's a reason why someone is a pitcher. There's a reason why. Because they're good at playing that position. And you go from second base to outfield, it's a completely different thing. You're not used to fielding the ball that way. You're not used to going out and feeling for the warning track, feeling for the wall. The moment that you turn to try to track down the ball is totally different. And so I just don't think it's it works out as well as people think. And you need to be rotating these guys in and out of those positions before they fully get into it. So those are my thoughts on that. Um, so I was supposed to give it baseball advice other than get on base. So I guess I could work my way back from what I just said, which is 
work the hardest at the position that you're in, but also don't beat yourself up if you're not immediately good at it. (laughs) Because if somebody puts you in a position that is foreign to you, that's kind of on them. Like it's, we have the, you know, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Everybody forgets that that was a joke. (laughs) Like nobody said that. See, this is why satire gets us in trouble and why satire isn't always the best way to go because not everybody understands that something is a joke. Um, so you can't just expect somebody to play a position for 10, 15, 20 years and then put them into another position and be like, well, it's still baseball. Um, so that would be my advice. Also, like, don't get in your head. I always get in my head and it does not do any wonders for me. So that's my other baseball advice. All right. Beth from Earth. Care to talk knuckleball. My partner believes more pitchers should use it as it's essentially unhittable. I believe it's inefficient and unpredictable, and pitchers are better off learning how to master other pitches. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I do think that learning other pitches is valuable. So that uh, in and of itself is good. You cannot live and die by the fastball alone. Also, the curveball itself is a highly destructive pitch on the pitcher's arm. There's a lot of research that no one is sharing with people that it is very destructive to the elbow of the person throwing it. So I think that the game does need to, you got to diversify no matter what, you know, you got to, the bigger plan that you can use, the better you're going to be off. And I think that the knuckleball is an art. It's also a pitch that um, a lot of people suggest women learn because women, you know, maybe don't have as high a velocity pitch as men. Their fastball maybe comes in at 86 or something like that. So a knuckleball is something that you could use, I think, sparingly um, to diversify your sort of, you know, cachet of, of pitches. I think when we say knuckleball, it evokes a pitcher who only throws that and can't throw anything else. So I think that is maybe the aversion that people have to the knuckleball. But I like it. I mean, I would like to see a lot more of it. What we're seeing these days is a lot of, like, slurves and stuff like that, which is like a slider curveball and, um, you know, these, like, high-velocity high velocity, high uh, breaking pitches, which I don't think could be helping elbows. That, But we don't worry about that. We just want to get strikeouts. So I don't know. I I, I tend to agree with you. It, it would help pitchers out and give them some longevity. And I think it's interesting looking, you know, people can't really figure it out. So that's fun. Uh, Morgan Houston gives us a fun baseball fact. The Rockies are 12 and one on Friday the 13th. Look at that. Go back in time. Kennedy Gann brings us our last question and or comment. I know I'm only speaking into the void. Guess what, Kennedy? You're not. I am not a void. Avoid the Noid, though. But we also have a Negro Leagues Baseball Museum here in Birmingham. So shout out to Kennedy Gann. You are not shouting out to the Void. You told me my bench coach, Brett, found it, gave it to me, and now I am shouting out the fact that Birmingham, Alabama, also has a Negro Southern League Museum. So check that out if you're in the area. If I am in the area, I will also check it out. And this has been Rosenbag with Rio Butcher on Three Swings. We'll be back with an interview that I'm very excited about. I'm very glad that I got this person in. I'm excited for all of you to hear her perspective, her experience, what's going on for her. I think all of you are going to love it a lot. And that interview is with Justine Siegel right after this. Awesome. This is the interview section of Three Swings. Welcome back. Three Bs. I'm very excited about our guest today. This is somebody that I've talked about a lot on the podcast. 
who I like a lot, who I've gotten to play baseball with, uh, who's also coached baseball a lot, thrown batting practice for a major league baseball team, started a baseball thing. I don't know what you would call it, but uh, a baseball thing to get more uh, girls and women in baseball uh, called Baseball for All. Please welcome two three swings, a person I think is amazing, Justine Siegel. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited we can make this work. Thank you for getting up super early in the morning. Although you've told me you're a morning person, so I don't need to thank you for this. I am. Well, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of yours, so it's well, good to be here. Likewise. Let's just talk about how much we like each other. <laughs> um, Justine, I'm so glad you're here. How about... So this is what I ask everybody, um, but you actually play baseball. You're the first person on my podcast that actually plays baseball other than my teammate, Alice Wetterland, who I don't think you met when you played for the Cocos, because I think she was out of town at the time. But anyway, um, so what got you into baseball originally? You know, I started with T-ball, and um, I just kept playing through the youth leagues. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was 13, I was told by my new coach that I should go play softball. And so I decided I'd play baseball forever. (laughs) Yeah. I had a really great time playing. Yeah. Uh, until I was 13. That's when it got difficult. You know, I was just playing shortstop, pitcher, mm-hmm. uh, catcher. Yeah. You know, uh, my brother played on my teams for a while. And then on our last year, he he asked my dad to be put on another team. So we ended up facing each other instead. Mm. Wait, was your dad coaching or your dad just like made those decisions? He just made family decisions. Wise. Yeah, I got yeah. it. So did your brother want to be on a different team because he wanted to play you? I think it was tough having a sister who was better than him. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. That is probably difficult, but also it shouldn't be. Well, I was always outside playing anything. Yeah. So, I mean, just athletically, I was always moving and right. throwing, whether it was a rock, football, baseball, <laughs> sure. soccer, whatever it was. So, you know, I was a little bit more advanced and then he grew and he grew into his athletic ability. Right. Was he older than you or younger than He's you? He's a year younger. Oh, okay. And then did you just have the one brother? I have an older sister. Older but... sister. And she was not into sports. Uh, she played a little in high school, oh, but yeah. uh, we ended up playing softball against each other. That's sort of a long story, but <laughs> yeah. um, my high school originally wouldn't let me try out, and so I played a uh, few games in softball, slow pitch. Mm-hmm. This was way back when it was not fast pitch, it was slow pitch, and we ended up playing against each other when she was a senior and I was a freshman. Yeah. Um, but that was my softball experience. Mm. And I just played softball for the first time in since I was 13, that age, um, and... I was like, oh, this will be, you know, just fun to just, like, be athletic and get some exercise. And I was like, I, this is, what is this? <laughs> it's like the very slow pitch, like, ball above your head trying to hit it. And it's very confusing and I don't understand. Yeah, that's all they had when I was in high school. I'm 43, so it was before fast pitch. That's and... nuts. I did not realize that, that it wasn't always fast pitch for women when they were pushing. Yeah, it was slow pitch. It's really quite pathetic. but um... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> you know, here we are. Yeah, of course. So what do you think, because this is something we've discussed before, what do you think about um, the the sort of t-ball or whatever, or like little league to softball pipeline for girls and women in baseball? Yeah, I don't understand why more people aren't outraged. Sure. Girls are being told they can't do something. You when, know? Especially when they're already doing it. So, yeah, <laughs> you know I mean, what I mean? It's not like, I think it's easy for people to look at it and be like, because you're separated from the thing and you just look at two things and like there's women's basketball and men's basketball. So you take that 
framework and you set it on top of this thing, but it's not looking at the fact that A, they're two different sports and they operate differently, and B, it's not just girls walking into some, it's girls that are already playing one sport and then you're taking them out of it and making them play something different just because of the age that they hit. Yeah, exactly. Um, my nonprofit that I founded, Baseball mm-hmm. for All, provides opportunities for girls to play baseball. And um, in addition to playing together with other girls, uh, we also get emails about discrimination, about leagues and schools who are you know, telling the girls they can't try out. Uh, as early as seven years old, right. we have you know, the league's not letting her play. Right. So it just is ludicrous. And and I I don't understand why more people aren't saying, why are we allowing (laughs) society to tell girls they can't do something based on their gender? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's, um, I mean, it's against Title (laughs) IX. I would would imagine that Title IX, but does softball work its way around Title IX because of that? Well, I mean, it's kind of complicated between states, sure. how everyone views uh, softball and baseball. But the court ruling is that baseball and softball are different sports, mm-hmm. and the NCAA has agreed that baseball and softball are different sports. Mm-hmm. So uh, just different athletic associations have different feelings. But if it is a youth league using a public field, then it is for sure a, a Title IX issue. Yeah. And uh, that one seven-year-old who contacted us when I uh, explained that to the league president uh, she was quickly allowed to play. Wow. So you're like getting these emails and then you're reaching out to the administration that's doing this stuff. Usually we try to teach them what they can do, what yeah. are the possible steps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the last resort is the media. Right, you, of course. You don't particularly want to humiliate a league into right. equality, but sometimes that's Cause then, where it goes. Yeah, because then you're not there afterwards after they're humiliated to like make sure that that person isn't then being discriminated against every saturday morning at nine when after they get in because there's that like that i think that was new hampshire where those dads got in trouble for telling the players to bean the girl until she quit playing baseball yeah that was the plan to to try to hit her and scare her into Mm -hmm. uh, softball um I'd like to tell you that I've never heard something like that oh, before. I don't think that is at all the case because it's literally happened to me. And I'm not a child playing on like a team. I've literally been thrown at just because I'm there. You know, like Yeah, I expected to be thrown at when I was in high school. Totally. I mean, I would say I wasn't normally thrown at, but mm-hmm. I, I expected it to right. happen. I mean, just the kinds of things that were said to me or um I I knew that enough people didn't want me there. Sure. Yeah, it's a it's a weird. It's not weird. I I don't know that because I used to think that um, people were mad that I was there, and then I realized some of it was that they were mad that it was they felt like it wasn't their space anymore. You know, it's like feels like sometimes men feel like you're invading something that they own, and they don't realize it. You know, and it's like nobody owns this. We're all doing this you know we're all playing this sport together that's like what sports are supposed to be about but it becomes like so much about ownership you know yeah i think that's a really fair feeling um men definitely come at it a little differently than a nine-year-old boy (laughs) sure um i find that the younger players don't care absolutely and then you know once it gets into past 13 it becomes more of what are the parents saying yeah and the kids somewhat often adopt what the parent or what the coaches are, mm-hmm. are saying and, and how they treat the girl. Right. Um, but 
otherwise, you know, I have great faith in these uh, young men growing up, these mm-hmm. boys coming up through, you know, their mothers have been Title IX. Totally. Uh, have received those gifts there you know you're now seeing on disney that it's cool to date the female kicker (laughs) on the football team you know so things are changing oh yeah absolutely there's there's still uh some old archaic rules and feelings that we have to for sure i mean it's a constant it's just a constant like conversation and thing that you have to work on and i think it's interesting that you bring up like children of title nine because i was watching uh games here and there from the final four of the women's and the men's uh and i preferred the women's but um i was watching a men's game and i don't remember what team it was but they were talking about oh this this kid is from a basketball family his dad played at so and so and his mom played at so and so and like i did not grow up hearing that you know (laughs) and so it's wild to um think about that like that these that both boys and girls and gender non-conforming kids have moms that played sports in college or even professional sports like i think that the wnba is going to have like perhaps its biggest year this year because of that because the women that are going into it now grew up with it and they're like no i want to make this something new you know like i want i i like aja wilson i believe is her last name is like openly talking about how she wants to make the wnba like a big deal you know not that anybody before that didn't but it's just like a different perspective of like she's not she doesn't have to be the first to play it. She's the, you know, hundredth or whatever, as opposed to beginning the thing and trying to follow the rules and do it the right way or whatever, you know? Yeah, and the WNBA has, you know, changed girls' dreams for a generation now. Yes, And exactly. that, that's incredible. Um, I mean, we're all indebted to Title IX, not mm-hmm. just girls, but boys as well. A hundred percent. Can you expand on that? <laughs> well, you know... I think it's important we realize that boys and girls rise up together. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't just about girls. This is about when we when we take away stereotypes and boxes, we just become who we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, I happen to focus a lot about the box and girls and baseball. Yes. But that box is true for anyone, you know, uh, guys who want to dance. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to remember that at one point, men weren't elementary school teachers. They <laughs> yeah. weren't nurses. Yeah. You know, women couldn't ride bicycles <laughs> or wear jeans. So when yeah. you look at it historically... And it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it's <laughs> incredibly. So, you know, I always look at things sort of historically and where can we go in a generation. Absolutely. Oh, that's a great point. And I think that um, it's good to... It is really good to balance it out, like, what it can do for boys, too, because, like, we focus... or the focus becomes so much about girls and it becomes like, oh, girls want to do this, that, the other thing. Like, boys want to do other shit too. <laughs> like, there are so many... I just think about how many boys get pushed into Little League and baseball that don't want to be there at all, you know? And then there's girls that want to play there. Like, how much better of a situation in a world would it be if you just got to do the thing you wanted to do? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have so many resources and so many... It's like, why don't we just let people do the things they want to do? It's going to make them be the person they want to be. Exactly. Try things, do things, fail, do well. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> so you've also coached at like at the professional level. What was that like? And where where have you coached? And what was that experience like? In 2009, I coached with the Brockton Rocks in the K&M League, which is mm-hmm. independent baseball. But that was was when I became the first woman to coach pro baseball. Mm-hmm. And that was um, an incredible experience to be able to wear a uniform as your job. Uh, but there was also, it was very new. So sure. there were a lot of, you know, things I had to work through. Um, like the, in terms of coaching, like what it's actually yeah, like I to mean, coach? Yeah, I mean, like I was eventually let go. 
Right. And, you know, I mean, the, the reason was because I was a, a girl. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sure. I was hired for being a woman and I was sort yeah. of let go for being a woman. But, um, well, can that, you expand on that? What do you mean? Well, I think, uh, you know, the manager, he was really into hiring me. He yeah. wanted his daughters to know they could do anything. Right. I had already been coaching through, uh, at Springfield College. Mm-hmm. So I was the only woman coaching college baseball. Um, so it made sense, but ultimately there weren't enough people in the leadership that were supportive of having a woman. You know, this yeah. was before, um, you know, Becky Hammond. It was before all yeah. of these kinds of things. Right. So it was all really, really and new And only to just everybody. 2009. 2009. Um, and then in 2015, I got to coach um, in the Instructional League for the A's. Right. And that was an incredible time. Absolutely incredible. In fact... Um, you know, I've also done independent baseball um, with the Corn Belters, mm-hmm. and I had a fantastic time. Yeah. I, I have found that, you know, when given opportunity to, at this point, the players only care that you can make them better. Right. And, um, like, that's it. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, totally. yeah, you're a woman, and you're bringing a different vibe, which to me is an asset. Absolutely. To be a woman who knows the game. Yes. You know, it's not just, like, throw a woman in there. Right, it's, yeah. It's, it's someone who's qualified to get it done. Um, but... This this is these are new people. These are people who grew up, you know, with LGBTQ, yeah, bullying, you know, all these kind of different messages of of inclusiveness. Absolutely. Uh, versus in two thousand nine, you're talking about you know the men who were just before that, right? Um, so I've been having a really great time and mm-hmm. just trying to coach professionally anywhere I can, but it is tough to get the experience for sure, to, right? To be allowed in through the gatekeepers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, something that like a, a sort of similar thing in Hollywood or whatever you want to call it in that industry is like something that people have been talking about is that uh, women and then especially women of color in Hollywood trying to make it up through to be like a head writer or, you know, like running their own show or something, they tend to stay, be put in the same position multiple times uh, on the same level as opposed to like a guy gets his foot in the door, you know, as a writer's assistant. Typically, men aren't writer's assistants now. Women are. <laughs> but if they get the writer's assistant job, then they get, like, put right into the stream of writing. Then they write, and then they get the chance to write their own show. Whereas somebody like Lena Waithe, who I don't know if you're familiar with, but she's, like, the first black woman uh, and out uh, LGBTQ person to win uh, comedy writing Emmy, Emmy ever <laughs> last year um, in the 100 years that they've been giving those away. Um, she was a writer's assistant for, like, you know, uh, six years, whereas like a guy would typically be that one time and then gets flopped into writing. So it's a a similar thing where you're like, I have the skills. I just need the like reps and the experience on paper so that you can be like, oh, this person has done this. But if you haven't done it and the thing that's keeping you from doing it is who you are. (laughs) And then people are like, well, you can't just hire somebody because she's a woman. It's like it's this self-fulfilling prophecy that just keeps swirling around that you're like, how do I hook on to something to get out of it you know yeah it's definitely circular sort of being a pioneer or just trying to be a woman in a male-dominated um you know because culture <laughs> you 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 kind of don't have the check boxes the, you know the box yeah. is to check but that's because you don't have the opportunities to check the boxes right so if you only think in that sort of linear way yeah then we're never going to get diverse. Absolutely. But if you realize how amazing it is when you think outside of those check boxes and how you can reach more people, mm-hmm. um, 
then it's sort of like this infinite possibility of how we can, and particularly in coaching, how we mm-hmm. can reach players. I mean, you can imagine when when coaching staffs used to be all white. <laughs> sure. You know, and now you bring in African-Americans and now you're relating to certain people. Now we have Spanish-speaking mm-hmm. coaches. So it just makes sense that the more different kinds of people that with different kinds of experiences, the more players you can reach. And in your case, the more viewers you can reach totally with a different perspective right because you're it's it's very similar to uh having writers that can write to the experience of the characters that you're putting in a show because if you have an all-white writer's room and then you're trying to to put in you know a latino character and a black character and one of those is queer and then the whole (laughs) writer's room is like white people like they're just writing what they think is the experience of that whereas like you have these all-white coaches with a team that isn't you know it's just like what you think somebody needs as opposed to going like, you know, I needed this. And so this is what I'm going to give to you. And maybe this will work. And then it does. Cause you can like relate on a one-to-one sort of experience. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it seems so simple. <laughs> it is so simple when we sit here and talk about it on a podcast, like we have figured all of it out. <laughs> um, and so you've also, you were a big part of the trailblazer series happening, uh, which I got to go to last year, but I wasn't able to make it this year. Um, which was just a cool thing. I mean, when I walked onto the field fields at that complex last year, it was just a wild thing to just look at all these people playing baseball and then go, oh, these are all girls. This is amazing. Um, and I know the experience for a lot of girls there was that as well. Have you found that like the girls in your that come through your nonprofit or um, reach out to it or at the Trailblazer series tend to be the only one? Like it's groups of the only ones in their town or where they're from? Yeah, so um, Baseball for All held, held its first, held the first national girls baseball tournament in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, there were women's tournaments, but not girls tournaments. Um, and, you know, all of those girls were the only ones in their leagues. So you definitely see that. Um, I'm really proud of Major League Baseball mm-hmm. for doing the Trailblazer series. Uh, last year was their first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say 80% of the participants came from Baseball for All last year. Uh, and this year, you know, it was more like only half, which means that the outreach is working, that when Major League Baseball uh-huh. gets involved, that means that they have a, you know, they, they have, have a, a farther reach. reach. Yeah. So they can get more girls and get the word out. And when MLB is saying, yeah, we support girls playing baseball, everything becomes easier. Oh, yeah. And so I am really proud of, of them going forward and, and and stepping up in that way. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And. Do you know if they're going to keep doing it? It seems like they're going to keep doing it. You know, I, I believe so. I mean, this year they're also doing another, it's called the Breakthrough Series for the older girls. So in, last year they did one program and this year they're doing two. So, you know, and... How did I not hear about that? You know, it, that hasn't, <laughs> I haven't really heard... You Have know, they not promote it yet? They're I mean, waiting. I'm going, I'm coaching it. Yeah. When, when it, is it? June. June. That's very soon. Beginning of June, yeah. Where at? Uh, Dodger Town. What? <laughs> that's what i believe yeah that's no, what I believe okay. i've been told yeah um so i mean it's exciting and, and i've put so many years into uh girls baseball and and to finally have the commissioner say hey we believe every girl should have a right to play mm-hmm. if that's what she wants to do that's incredible because that's that's huge progress i mean yeah. i've put in my my daughter is 20 mm-hmm. so i've been doing this 20 years yeah at some level or not you know, like at some level, whether right. it was women's or girls, my effort started 20 years ago to try to create a better future. Right. 
Uh, Which, can I just say, as a person outside of your life who's only known you for a couple years, I think that you've done that. I know it's very hard to, like, see, and because there's always, like, a lot ahead of you, and I think that as somebody who is trying to do a similar thing for whatever comedy, you know, uh, in the small little way that I can, um, you've totally done that. Well, thank you. Yeah, Um, you're welcome. I mean, we, we grow as a community. Absolutely. And so it's not just one thing, but it's definitely incredible. You're a very selfless person, but I think that you've done a lot for Girls Basement. Like, I learned a lot through you. Like, just finding out about you, I was like, holy shit. Like, I found this, like, basically a whole encyclopedia of information, like, after finding out what you'd done and, like, what you'd worked through, you know? So, I don't know. You're doing a great job. (laughs) You're doing great work. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's very cool about... uh, the breakthrough series um for older girls is that like high school age or high school cool so can i ask you this would your ultimate goal just to be more girls playing baseball or would it be for girls to be playing baseball um on their own in leagues that are like girls baseball leagues in a similar way that softball exists like perhaps replacing softball with baseball for girls because it's a delicate subject you know what i mean i think that it's a it's a valuable thing to discuss. Uh, well, first, I'm supportive of co-ed leagues. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to be supportive. I think mm-hmm. a lot of lessons are learned when girls and boys play together. Yeah. Um, but I'm also a huge pro- proponent for girls baseball mm-hmm. because there are a lot of girls that won't play unless it's girls. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I had to play soccer with the boys. Yeah. And now that there's girls soccer, everyone has played it at one point. In, um, I haven't, Justin. Well, you're an oddball. <laughs> I know. But I grew up at a very particular time in a very particular but area of the country. But you're not quite young. Enough. No, no, no. You're I'm right in young. between. You're right Justine, in between I'm me and the young. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but the young people over the last 12 years have, I mean, so oh, many sure. girls yes. have gone out and played soccer at one right. point. And I think 1994. That if we provide girls baseball, then we suddenly get into schools. We, we yes. get more girls who wouldn't play or parents who wouldn't let them play if it was right. co-ed. As far as softball, I think, you know, I think baseball is the greatest game on earth. Of course. Not going to debate you there. I do think we have to recognize that there's girls who, who really love the game of softball. Yeah. And so when we pit softball versus baseball, of course. I don't think anyone really wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would definitely like to see... You know, high school baseball for girls and high school softball for girls. You know, one could be Mm -hmm. a fall sport. One could be a spring sport. I mean, you could almost say we should have baseball for girls and also softball for boys. Well, you know. (laughs) I mean, what if there's like boys that want to play softball in high school instead of baseball? And that may happen in in, in a generation. I'm not sure it'll happen now. Of course. There's a lot of stigma around that. Yeah. But um, there's there's certainly. I don't know. Men's volleyball is becoming a thing. And it was like very popular in my high school. But men's volleyball doesn't have a counterpart. So softball and baseball yeah. are considered counterparts. To sure. me, that's a societal myth. No, I mean, I understand. I, yes, I agree. So, um, And the societal myth is the thing that I think both you and I are trying to get rid of. Oh, absolutely. The myth of that thing. Absolutely. That those two things equate each other. And it doesn't mean that softball has to go away or that it's there's something inherently less than about it. It's just that it isn't the same thing. And making it the same thing is the problem. That's absolutely true. Making baseball and softball the same sport when they're clearly different <laughs> yeah, is yes. the problem. Yeah, right. 
And you're teaching different lessons. You're saying, this is what girls do. This is what boys do. Yeah. And why would we want to teach that? Right. I mean, it's like saying girls wear dresses, boys wear pants. It's the same. It's like, yes, they're both clothes, but they're different clothes. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't, they're not the same clothing item. Yeah, they're just different sports. And, and I believe girls should have a true opportunity to pursue either one. Yeah. And it's, I think the more that girls see that they can play baseball, they won't feel like they can't play baseball. I know that's like the most simple, simplistic way of putting that. But like, I have a friend who, um, he's very into baseball. He doesn't necessarily play it, but, um, he's another comedian. He has a daughter who was getting to be, you know, baseball age. And he was like, yeah, she's trying out and I'm really excited for her to get into baseball. And then he, he was like, I wasn't there and they pushed her into softball and now she wants to play softball and I don't want to. Like make her. I don't want to tr- like make her do something she now doesn't want to do, which is, you know, play baseball. But like he wasn't around to sort of guide and pay attention to what people were saying to her, and then she got pushed into softball. And was like, well, that's what the other girls are doing. That's like, right, which is the case for girls baseball, right? Exactly. Because so, so many girls want to just be with other girls. Yeah, the, and uh, some some don't care. Some would r- mm-hmm. rather be in co-ed. Yeah. Well, I think both are valuable. <laughs> personally that's why i'm doing this podcast (laughs) and there's a lot of guys that listen to this podcast that agree with a lot of the things that we're saying so shout out to those dudes like you were saying yeah for sure um yeah so what what are you working on what kinds of things should people be looking out for other than the breakthrough series like what do you have going on baseball wise or just you know promotional wise like what's in the works for you (laughs) well baseball for all is doing a maria pepe Mm mm-hmm baseball series in new jersey maria pepe is one of the first girls to play little league or to get to sue to play Mm. little league um so she's going to be out there meeting the girls and the girls will be able to play baseball and then we have our national tournament uh in rockford illinois so the girls actually get to play at the same field that the rockford peaches played at from the all-american league um and the rockford tournament will have over 200 girls maybe up to 300 uh-huh. uh, it's definitely the largest girls baseball event ever and um that's when, when how i that? spend my days is organizing that <laughs> right of course uh, yeah. august 2nd through the 5th oh wow that's so, amazing so yeah it keeps growing i mean we started with 12 teams in one age division at 13u in 2015 and, and now we're looking at four age divisions and you know 250 plus girls wow. from all over the u.s and and canada and that's just in three years that it's grown that so much. So this will be our fourth year. Well, four years. Yeah. yeah. So the need is there. We just need more resources. To, of course. To grow. Yeah. Like corporate sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> the old corporate sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who wants to get involved in grassroots. I mean, we're essentially changing the game. Yeah. We're literally. saying we're saying we're creating a new sport mm-hmm. for for girls. We, we're um, and we're opening up baseball in a way that's never really been opened up for girls and in, in, um you know oh, about 40 percent of major league baseball fans are women so it just makes sense that they'd want to play baseball yeah you know they'd want to play the same game that bryce harper is or, or you know kershaw's pitching they want yeah. to know how to throw a curveball like right. this, this all makes sense yeah so the more girls that play you know it's only gonna help the game and sell more bats absolutely more it more clothes that maybe aren't sequined or maybe are but it's up to the person buying the thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Mine will be not sequined. Yeah, I, but, uh, I prefer not sequined. You know, yeah, it's to everyone gets their own. Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole thing, Justine. That's the whole thing. 
Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was a lo- lovely conversation. Yeah, thanks. Baseball. If uh, anyone wants to learn more, they can go to baseballforall.com. Yeah, they should definitely, definitely do that. And everybody should go to Rockford and go, <laughs> I'm going to figure out how I can get to this thing because <laughs> I want to go. It sounds amazing. It would be. We'd love to have you. I would love to be there. Uh, Justine Siegel, thank you so much. This is so wonderful. Thank you. Oh, my God. What an... That was an amazing interview. I'm so glad I got to talk to Justine. I, she is the reason that I like learned a lot about, uh, you know, like women's baseball, the women's baseball movement, girls in baseball. And I hope all of you know that when I'm talking about girls and women in baseball, I am using the binary because that's what's being used to keep them out of it. So I do also mean gender non-conforming kids uh, because they tend to gravitate towards the women's side of the sports spectrum in terms of gender segregation. Um, I also want to shout out uh, her nonprofit, which is uh, Baseball for All. So follow them on Twitter, follow them on Instagram. You can get all of those handles at their website, uh, baseballforall.com. There's a donate button on their website. So if you have a couple bucks, throw it their way. They, they really are, as Justine told you, uh, they really are promoting baseball for everybody. And it's not just about getting girls and women um, it is about making baseball a more fun sport for everybody to participate in. Um, and so, you know, give them a couple bucks if you can. I would appreciate it. And Take My Wife is now on iTunes in the UK and Australia. So please check it out on there. It's also streaming now on Stars on the app. Um, so please support us there. We're really excited that the show is out and that you get to see it. That's very exciting for us. And also for this podcast, if you enjoy it please follow us on twitter at three swings pod you can send us rosin bag questions right there and you can ask me anything it doesn't have to be baseball related um although let's keep that to a minimum (laughs) and then you can follow us on instagram same handle and then i am at Rhea butcher on instagram and twitter that's r-h-e-a-b-u-t-c-h-e-r please rate review and subscribe on itunes stitcher premium on spotify whatever you use to to listen to the podcast and also please if you like the podcast and there's somebody that you know that you think might like it um even if they're not into baseball please uh make a recommendation it really does help and the more people that listen to the podcast the easier it is for us to make it and more fun it is to make it for the more people and it really does work just talking to each other um and that will help with literally any political movement so let's talk to each other um oh that's what i was gonna say see i remembered in the outro and i got it there was a great uh, conversation about um, gender segregation and also testing for testosterone levels in women's sports, which is a huge itch- issue right now. Um, they're trying to keep women with high testosterone counts out of women's sports, which is uh, discrimination and wrong. Um, Madeline Brand does a great show on KCRW called Press Play. It's also out as a podcast. So I highly recommend the people that listen to this podcast. It's definitely in your overlapses of your Venn diagram. So please listen to that. There's, I think, just some great education on this issue. And we should be very supportive of women's sports. And that is inclusive of people who are non-binary, gender non-conforming, trans women, athletes like we should be supporting them and supporting that cause and i think you know it needs to be a big movement so please listen to that um i think it's very important and let's get educated on that um so yes i got it all in i figured it out so please rate review and subscribe i'm repeating that again and guess what if you liked it you liked it forever 
This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.